0: So, the Old Testament reading for this morning is from Habakkuk chapters 1 and 2. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Two years ago, I was hospitalized for something called, well, I was hospitalized twice for it, um, primary spontaneous pneumothorax, or in layman's terms. Um, My left lung had ruptured and collapsed for the second time in 45 days, which generally is a thing that doesn't happen, should not happen. You don't want it to happen to you. Now treating this involves surgery that by its very nature made for a rough recovery. You see the procedure with this lovely name pleurodesis means that they um, kind of rough up the outside of your lung so that it forms scar tissue across the entire outer surface and then stitches itself to the pleural cavity around it. Usually right in surgery they're trying to take out the thing that's painful or that's wrong or whatever. In this case, they're trying to scar up my lung so that it hangs on to the surrounding tissue so that it can't actually collapse again. The promise was here, I'll be better. And this is most likely never going to happen to me again, at least on my left side. Right? I came out of the general aesthetic and immediately knew I was in for a tough time. Every bump, every threshold, that the bed crossed on the way from... The operating floor up to my room uh, felt like I was being stabbed. The pain was mind-fraying, and I couldn't even pray. All I could say was, Jesus, 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 Jesus. But this was going to make me better, and it was never going to happen again. In the span of the next 24 hours, I requested opioid pain management so many times that I was assigned to the inpatient pain management team at that hospital. I suppose they were concerned about me developing some kind of dependency. During the consult where we agreed to put me on an epidural, I didn't even open my eyes. I didn't know what these people looked like until the second or third time I had met them. Even the slightest movement or shifting in bed or lifting my left arm made it feel like I had a hot, sharp shard of metal about right here in my chest. Sometimes moving the wrong way or shifting my weight would send a bolt of lightning down the inside of my arm. So I mostly just laid in my bed and tried to keep very still. The focus that is generally reserved for like, oh, I don't know, really really important tasks or studying or um, trying to untie some tiny little knot that you know, maybe has been tied in a kid's shoelace um, that was that level of focus was now just devoted to breathing, and existing. Without pain, without moving the wrong way. But I was going to feel better. That was the promise, and I was never going to feel this way again. I would never have to go through it again. With the pain finally under control and be able to get up and move around, things started to look better. But I wasn't getting better. They would disconnect me from the suction on the wall and then my lung actually wouldn't inflate all the way so they had to hook me back up and slam that valve open and you know, have uh, that experience a couple times. I wasn't healing like I was supposed to. What's wrong? The promises don't seem like they're coming to pass. This was supposed to be like maybe two nights in the hospital, I was there for nine days. Nothing was going according to plan. Each day was pretty much the same. Blood draw early in the morning, X-rays after that, thankfully they came to my room to do that. Uh, Then there was breakfast, Netflix, lunch, Netflix, consult with one of the PAs, maybe even the doctor if he wasn't too busy that day, the surgeon. Um, Basically just to say that the X-rays weren't showing the kind of improvement that they were hoping for. And, you know, we'll keep at it. Hang tight. You know, keep your chin up. More Netflix, dinner, Netflix. Netflix wake up the next day and repeat, oh, I forgot, heparin shots in my belly because, you know, I wasn't moving around as much as I supposedly needed to, right, and so I had these funny little socks that kind of squeeze your calves uh, to recreate the action that happens naturally when you walk around in your legs. And all of this, by the way, right, two years ago during 2020, so I was alone, no visitors, but it was all designed to make me feel better. That was the promise. That was the word. And I would never have to go through this again. Right? Oftentimes our circumstances in life erode away our confidence in God's promises. Sometimes it feels like God has over-promised and under-delivered. But this is not unique to our experience. Lots of you have been in similar situations. The details are different. But waiting on God to come through, waiting on God's word to prove itself true in your life, I think that's common to all of us. God's people have, excuse me, have always had to deal with these questions. Is God for us? Is God with us actually? Once every three years, this passage from the prophet Habakkuk is included in the lectionary readings. Another pastor asked this question on social media, are you going to preach on Habakkuk this Sunday, pastors, or are you going to wait another three years for this comment to pass by again? And I think this is too good to wait three more years for. So let's dive in. The text for this sermon is printed on the back of your bulletin. It's two snippets from Habakkuk, from chapter one and from chapter two. The prophet starts out, "O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. As I was studying this week, one scholar made this observation. He said, you know what God's people cry out to and don't hear them? Idols fake gods, gods made out of wood or stone and overlaid with gold or silver. Habakkuk may actually be coming out of the gate swinging here by saying, God, are you an idol? Because it seems like you are a false god after all because I'm crying out and you're not hearing. Now in this community, crying out violence was a call for help. The expectation was that Help would arrive. People depended on their neighbors, depended on their communities. Maybe like we would depend on, you know, calling 911 today. Modern equivalents might be, right? Um, you know how it's like really not an okay thing? We treat this very seriously to like shout bomb in an airport or fire in a theater. With just one word, you can expect that the atmosphere will totally change crying out violence. And Yahweh was not saving. God was not doing anything about it. In verse three, he says, why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Habakkuk is laying the fault of this completely with God. This is your fault, God. You're the one who's idle here. You are the, I don't know, couch potato. You're lazy. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, God. This is all your fault. You're the righteous God. Shouldn't you be doing something about this? And then he goes on. He concludes here. Based on what I see around me, God, your word is powerless. It says the Torah... The law is paralyzed. Now Habakkuk is talking about his own people. And God will go on to say, it's not included in our reading, but Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11, God says, okay, I hear you. Here's what I'm going to do. You're crying out about the wickedness surrounding you. I'm going to use a people even more wicked than you to discipline. The Babylonians are going to come, and they are mighty and fearsome, and it's not going to be good for anybody. And Habakkuk says, what? Rightly so. How could you do this, God? And that's where we pick up here in chapter two. He says, I'll take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk is here, even after hearing this bad news, that he's gone to God with his complaint and God has said, I've heard you, here's what I'm going to do about it, and it is not what Habakkuk was hoping to hear. But the prophet says, I'm going to see what God will say to me. There's a faith here, even in the midst of his trials, even after hearing something that made his legs turn to jelly, there's a faith that God was still with him, and he will still speak words of life. And the Lord answered him, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Now, writing down anything was kind of rare at this time in history. You would only write things down if they were really, really important. And maybe part of this was that most people didn't really even know how to write anything down. Most people maybe didn't know how to read. So the kinds of things that were written down were like, laws or royal decrees or things that were certainly going to come to pass. This is a proclamation. Write the vision. It says way back in Deuteronomy 27, verse 4, when you have crossed over the Jordan, these are instructions given to the nation of Israel, right before they enter the promised land, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. You shall, um, the law that I have commanded you, write it down and set it up so that people can read it. And in Deuteronomy 27, verse 8, you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. In the book of Habakkuk, the prophet there never speaks to people. He only ever is speaking to God. This is a conversation between God and this prophet. And God tells the prophet, write this down so that not just you, but everybody will know. And it's good news here. The vision here is good news. Elsewhere in the prophets, the vision stands in for God's saving plan. The the long-promised, long-awaited Messiah, Jesus. That's... The vision. And so that he may run who reads it could mean, I think, two things. One, when you write it plainly enough, so that's and, and, and you know, font size 6,000, so that someone running past can see it clearly from a distance. Or it means write this down so that a herald can take it from place to place to place and say, hear ye, hear ye, like a you know, royal proclamation. This isn't just a small encouragement for this prophet. This is good news and encouragement for all of God's people who are asking the same questions Habakkuk is asking. Why, God, how long are you going to sit idly by while violence and wickedness overtake righteousness and justice? Habakkuk 2.3 says, the vision waits its appointed time. The appointed time is Christ's birth. Though all Habakkuk's hearers died without seeing the vision arrive, they received it by faith that it would surely come. God says, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. And that's how we receive it today. We were born like Habakkuk was born way too early to receive Christ with his own eyes, with his own senses, with his own experience. He received Christ by faith. We also are born way too late to see our Lord incarnate on the earth. But we receive him today by faith. In the word of God that it's Jesus' own words speaking to us, we receive him by faith in his body and blood on the altar. Now the most important verse here, Habakkuk 2, 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Martin Luther said this. I would translate it this way. Look, he who is going to remain stubborn, his spirit will not be pleased by this. As if to say, watch out, you people. This is still Luther here. Whom neither a clear picture nor a word affects. Because if anyone continues to resist this promise stubbornly, He will be in trouble. He will have no share in this vision. He will get no benefit from it. He who has been promised will come at the time when it will be fulfilled. And thus the righteous, which is to say all of God's people, everyone whom God has created faith in, who trusts in the Lord, who trusts in the promises of the gospel, either before Jesus came to earth or 2,000 years after, How do we live? By faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Again, from Luther. And so this is the thought. I cannot force it into your hearts. You have the clear written record and word. If you believe it, you will live. Because the righteous lives by his faith as long as he waits for the Lord. So. Is God for us? Is God with us? The answer to both of those is yes, in Jesus Christ. In Habakkuk's day, the challenge was for a people who lived way too early to see the vision arrive, still receive it by faith, to believe that it would not lie, to believe that it hastens to the end. Their circumstances drove them to despair, to lose hope, Maybe yours do today, too. Their life, and maybe your life today, or the life of someone you know or love, is almost a living death. But the heart in which God kindles faith, that person lives and shares in the promised Messiah by faith. Untold numbers of men, women, and children, just like us, heard the gospel of the Messiah to come, believed it, built their life on it, and died without seeing Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus. Our challenge is not unlike theirs, friends. We live 2,000 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. People today have just as many reasons to doubt God. It's not really the threat of Babylonian invasion and destruction, But violence, wickedness, a land stained with blood, all kinds of things remind us that creation has fallen because of the sin of our first parents, that all of it is subject to the curse, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, as it says in the New Testament. we have reasons to believe that the vision won't come after all. That whatever Jesus was and did, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's for me, maybe it's relevant, maybe it's not. The details of our laments have changed, but God's people still lament just the same. And today God's people still live the same way that Habakkuk and all the righteous have always lived, by faith, by faith. And faith doesn't deny the seriousness of our circumstances. But we trust that there's more to the story than just what we can see or wrap our minds around. By believing the promise of Jesus, greater and truer than the promise of my surgeon, This is the promise. One day you're going to be fully healed. One day you will be fully free from this affliction of yours. I have already done the work to save you and nothing bad will ever happen to you again when I call you to be with me. That is a good word, is it not? That is something to build your life on. And what is the name for that ability, that faculty of yours that clings to things that you can't explain? That believes in things that uh, you can't prove? It's faith. It seems simple, but that's what faith is. And if you've got it, you know it. And Faith in Jesus will never put you to shame. Faith in Jesus leads you to sing as you just did. Open-eyed, my grave is staring. Even there, I'll sleep secure. Though my flesh awaits its raising, still my soul continues praising. I am baptized into Christ we can stare death in the face and continue praising God because of our faith in Christ Jesus. Friends, if it seems slow to come to you, if God's goodness seems slow to arrive in your life, don't abandon that hope, but wait for it. Help your family wait for it. Help your friends wait for it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.